0: Good morning. How's everyone today? Everyone doing well? Right. Come on. Everybody say good morning. Good morning. Turn the person next to you and say good morning. Make sure they're still awake. <laughs> Amen. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're here this morning. And uh, yet, yeah, if you saw that, uh, that, I know that was a student ministry thing, that last little video, but um, just so you didn't get the whole thing to understand that we will not have any activities on uh, that Wednesday night being the 4th of July. Not because... Not because we all want to be off and uh, go do our thing, kind of a thing, but because everybody, a lot of people are busy and it's hard to hard to do ministry when you got half your team here and all of that. So we won't be having any any activities, uh, small groups, or anything like that on that Wednesday night, unless your small group leader says, "Hey, let's get together and do something." Okay, but um, officially, no. And uh, it is the Fourth of July, uh, Wednesday week, just a week and a half away, and. Just a, a good time to uh, maybe talk a little bit about that and think about what that really means. It's not about barbecues, not about you know getting the day off work or uh, going on a vacation. It is a day that we celebrate our country's independence and uh, that and being a country and a country that was birthed, birthed uh, on you know on an understanding, a belief, a faith, and a love for God. And a lot of men and a lot of women have given their lives. They've uh, actually given given their lives and death, to defend that for, for you and me so that we would have freedom, so that we would have liberty. And because of, because of this, and just good timing, I think, here, we had two of our young men this past week uh, leave for deployment in Afghanistan. And I uh, asked you last week, I actually didn't realize Scotty was leaving this week. Scotty Berry, we prayed last week for Zach and, and Brittany and the family. I did not realize, it, I didn't think Scotty was leaving for several more weeks. So Scotty Berry and Zach Reed, won't you be praying for them? Some a lot of you raised your hand last week and you should, you told Zach you're going to be praying for him, and so please be praying for him. And also we uh, we we have a celebrity with us today. I mean he's always celebrity in in my book. Uh, Jeff received another medal this past week uh, from his military service, wounded warrior right, the wounded warrior medal and. Uh, I can, I can only do two, two fingers because I was only a Cub Scout, but I salute you again, Jeff. Uh, just one of my favorite people in the world. I love and appreciate him. And, uh, and all of you that, all of you that uh, gave your time, you served in the military, I just want to say thank you again. Thank you again for your service. The other day I was walking up to Walmart, and, you know, I hate seeing those little tables sitting out in front of Walmart because somebody's selling something or whatever. And I'm always so thankful I never have any cash in my pocket, you know. I never carry cash anymore, you know. And, and uh, thankfully none of those people, you know, they take debit or credit cards. So, but as I'm walking up, the man, you know, he says, sir, would you like to give something to veterans? And then, you know, it's like, oh, man, yeah, this is one that I'd like to do something for. And then I remembered I had six bucks in my pocket. I took the six bucks out, and I dropped it in this thing. I said, I, I never have cash. I, was like, I walked in the door, and I remember, wait a minute, I got another quarter. I went back out and gave him gave him that quarter, too. I, I want you to know, and, and I stopped and let him know as a veteran that I, I appreciate the gift of his service. And so if you are in the military or have been in the military, anybody in your family, I just want to say one more time, I appreciate your service to our country and what you've given to us. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and let's get into the second sermon in our series, Flip This House. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for for the liberty that you've given us, God. Thank you, Lord, for using uh, so many men and women over these years, God, to protect and defend our liberty. And God, the liberty that you gave us. And I pray, God, there's so much of this that has gotten away from us, Lord. So much that we have let go of in this country. God, the the faith that we were founded upon. The faith that made us great, God. God, the belief in your ability and power to to make us a great nation. One nation under God. And I pray, God, that you help us, Lord, uh, in our lives begin. And then in our communities, God. And then maybe even across this country, God, to begin to flip this house back, God, to the place where it was supposed to be. I pray, God, that you help us today, God, with this one little piece that we're going to deal with today. I pray you challenge somebody. I pray, God, you encourage somebody. I pray you renew something in someone today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So today we're going to talk about flipping the marriage house. Marriage in the United States of America. Because a lot, of, a lot of what we know as marriage in present day America, USA, is not what God intended. And, and you know, and I, I think I said this last week a little bit. Uh, but, you know, this whole thing about marriage and, and, you know, the same-sex marriage and all that, and whether we can redefine what it means. Listen, this is, this is not an American thing. We didn't dream this up 200 years ago. You know, what marriage, what marriage is, marriage has always been. Throughout all of history. Now there, there have always been uh, abuses. There always been something, but that, it's always been that. So this is not just a this is not just a me and you thing. It's not just that the Christian church in America said, no, marriage is between one man. No, this is the way it's always been. All of history, all just about every people that has ever lived, every country, every nation, it's it's always been about that. Okay, so today we're gonna to talk about marriage just a little bit. I want to take you to a scripture. And, uh, you know, normally think about all those New Testament scriptures. We read them over and over and we talk about marriage and talking about family and these. But today I want to take you to a, an Old Testament scripture, Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. Anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to His loved ones. Now, this was that one's kind of weird. I mean, we we're talking a little bit, you know, kind of about the family and, you know, some things here and there. And it's kind of weird that that one's thrown in the middle, isn't it? I mean, it's like that about, you know, you should. You, it's useless for you to work so hard, work from uh, daylight to dark. It's useless. But but then I was reading something this week, and it reminded me of. Some, you know, okay, I'm old enough to, to remember Blue Laws. Now, I, don't, I have no idea why they were called Blue Laws. I don't know, I don't know what that means. But Blue Laws means, meant that most businesses were closed on Sundays. I mean, that'd be, that's weird to a lot of you people to even think about the fact that you couldn't run to Walmart this afternoon, you know, that you couldn't go places like that. You know, it was hard to find a place. I mean, you could find even even most gas stations were closed. And, and, and most, of, most of you probably here, a lot of you have grown up with the 24-hour thing. You know what I mean? I mean, everything's open 24 hours. I mean, you, you, know, you can go get anything you want pretty much any time, of the, any time of the day, any time of the night. You can get it. So, it, it, you know, it's thrown in here, but it reminds me of where our country has gone to in a lot of other areas. Now, am I saying I don't, I don't like businesses being open on Sunday or I don't like businesses being open for 24 hours? I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that we've lost a lot of who we are. And we've been so busy with a whole lot of things going on. And we've been so uh, so interested in, in, in gathering and becoming and, and doing all these things. We've, we, we've not stopped sometimes and said, wait a minute. Before we make this decision, what is this going to cost me? That's what we've not asked ourselves in this country. Before we make this decision, what is this going to cost us? And, and in our marriages, a lot of times, I think we make... We, we make decisions without stopping and say, wait a minute, before we ch- choose to do this, what is this going to cost us? And I, I don't mean just financially, but, yeah, we can stop here, and, and I don't plan to talk about finances this morning in your marriage, but, I mean, we can stop here. We could talk a while about finances. But, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about every single decision that you make, time decisions that you make in your family, you know, uh, the decisions that you make on what you're going to do, you know, vacations that you're going to take, you know, those kinds of things, With, without thinking and, and asking the question houses, where you're going to live, where your kids are going to go to school. Every one of those decisions, we need to stop and think, what is this going to cost us if we make this decision? Verse 3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord, they are a reward from Him. A reward? Now, what do you, you got to do to get a reward? You got to do something, don't you? You got to do something to get a reward. Children born to a young man are like arrows. In a warrior's hands. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them? He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. So here's my contention for you, and we're gonna talk about several things about marriage just as quickly as I can, briefly as I can, is that marriage is under attack in the United States of America. And it has been for years, for decades. You know, and, and, you know, something something that, you know, you realize when you start looking around and you see young people, you know, growing up and you, you look at your kids and you look at your grandkids, you know, and you start looking at them and thinking, man, they don't understand this. Blue laws, what's a blue law? You mean Walmart wasn't always open 24 hours a day, seven days a week? I mean, they, they don't understand that. I mean, that, you mean, you didn't always have a microwave, you know? You didn't always have a, a computer sitting on two or three desks in your home, you know? You didn't have a, a you know, an iPod that, you know, the, the, the thing, you know, the, the, the little thing of carrying a computer around in your hand, I mean, that was science fiction for me, you know, back when I was growing up and Dick Tracy, you know, he had that, he had that thing on his wrist, you know, that was the, the watch and, you know, it was the computer and all that is like, I mean, it, you know, it's amazing to me that, that you know, all that's, all that's coming to pass in our lifetime and all of our lifetime marriage has been under attack. Yet for another generation, the generation that's coming up, they don't see marriage under attack because they, they already see all the ground that we've lost in marriage. They don't see it being under attack. They just see this is the way world, the world is. This is the way life is. But marriage used to be so much more. Why is marriage under attack? It's under attack from us. I mean, first of all, we're the ones killing it. Why? Because we want to do as we please. We want, to, we want to create marriage and do it just as we please with it. We want, to, we, we want to choose the way. We want to choose the how. We want to choose the time. We want to choose the, I mean, and we want to even choose the length. I mean, my goodness, you, you look. I, I don't even know why, uh, don't anybody get mad at me, okay, right here, but I don't even know why people in Hollywood even get married anymore. I mean, we know they're, they're, they're lying when they say, till death do us part. I mean, they're only going to be together as long as everything is just hunky-dory and everything's wonderful, and as soon as somebody else catches my eye, I think, you know, I'll be over there with that. I don't even know why in the world, because it doesn't mean that anymore. And, and, and not just the same-sex marriage, but, but, you know, again, when marriage means anything and everything, then it means nothing. And that's why, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, here again, don't get mad at me for saying this, Okay. But was, I don't even know why. I, I'm not even as concerned that people are living together in Hollywood because they're destroying marriage. I'm not even concerned about that. I'm, I think in a way I'm more concerned about the fact of how they jump, hop in and out and in and out and in and out of marriages because of the way they're destroying what God created that's supposed to be so awesome. And you know, you know why it's not working? You know why marriages are falling apart? You know, you know why uh, uh, those marriages, and you know why they're not working? Because, what did the verse say, the very first verse we read? It's just a few moments ago. Unless the Lord builds the house. You see, if you build it your way, if you create marriage your way, it's not going to work. If you change it around, if you make it fit into, into the way you want to do things, it's not going to work. Try it over and over and over. Societies have tried it. Our culture has been trying it now for decades, and guess what? It is not working. Marriages are falling apart, and as a result, our families are falling apart. And our kids, our kids, the next generation, this generation that was supposed to be a reward from God, something wonderful, something beautiful, they're the ones that are dealing with the struggles. They're the ones that are dealing with the aftermath, the fallout from the battle that is being lost in marriage. But it's not just us that's destroying marriage. There's a spiritual attack against marriage. And the reason, the reason the enemy is attacking marriage is because it's the first institution of God. Before there was a church, there was a family. Before there were kids, there was a marriage. It's the first institution. It, it, is, it is the basis on what everything in this whole world is built on. I mean, if you think about it, it is the basis of what this whole world is built on. This is where kids learn their very first lessons, and the most important lessons they will ever learn in their life. It is the basis. And because of, that's the way God created it, he put inside of marriage. There is an intrinsic power in a marriage that is done right. There is a power that is there. There is a strength that is there. There is an assurance that is there. When, you've got a, when you're married and you're in a right marriage, you don't have to run out somewhere else and, and find somebody who will affirm you because in a right marriage that is happening. There is peace in a right marriage. There is strength in a right marriage. I, do, do I need to say that there is love? No, I, I think we know that. There is love in a right marriage. There, every single thing a human, a human needs, he can find in that. That's what God did with this thing. Can I tell you something crazy, though? I, I mean, this is stats from, from a Gallup poll not too long ago, I think, uh, I think in 2010 is that we in the United States of America, we believe in the importance of marriage. Okay, according to all the statistics, we believe that marriage is very, very, very important. But at the same time, we also believe that divorce is acceptable. Now, how do you do about 69% of Americans in 2010 said that divorce is morally acceptable? How do you say I believe in the importance of marriage, but it's all right if you get a divorce? You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like those uh, uh, you know people that say I believe everybody ought to eat healthy. You know, we ought to stop having to pay all these you know high bill bills, uh, medical bills for everybody that you know we're all living how we want to and doing everything you know and taking everything in our bodies we want to and abusing and, and all this. I think everybody, but you know, as for me, you know, I, I, pass me my next Big Mac, you know, kind of a thing. That's kind of what we're doing with marriage. It's like we believe that it's highly important, but it's acceptable. If, I'm, you know, if I just decide, you know, for you, I think you need to have a strong marriage, but you know, hey, if I want out of mine, I mean, that's, that's the attitude that we have here in the United States of America, and we're destroying it. We're debasing it. We're bringing it down to it, it, Marriage is a powerful, strong, wonderful, important. It is the basis. It is the foundation of our society and all that is in the world, every, every relationship that we have, our marriage, the family is the basis for that. But here, I want you to hear something, okay, because I know. Uh, chances are 30 to 40% of the people sitting here that are married now were married previously, okay, and there's been a divorce. Okay, so I, I want you to hear something. I want you to understand where 2911 stands on this whole issue, okay? I, 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 don't, I don't want you, because I heard some people... Some people say, well, you know, the church hates divorced people. No, churches don't hate divorced people. Let me tell you how we stand on this. At 2911, we accept the fact that divorce may be in your past, but we refuse to accept that divorce will be in your future. Amen. I mean, we accept it, that it may have been, but we refuse, and we're doing everything we can. We do everything we can to support the marriage that you're in right now because we want it to be strong. We want it to be powerful. We want it to be what God created it to be. It's under attack. It, 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 it is, it, and you know what? You're not the, it's not just you two. It's not just you and your spouse that is going to suffer when your marriage falls apart. It is, and it's not just your kids either. It is all of society that is going to suffer when you don't do what God... And so we do everything possible that we can to make for strong marriages, that's why we we stay it so strong because God said it so strong. I'm going to read the verse to you if I get a chance to toward the end of this message. Is that God hates divorce? I hate divorce. I don't hate divorced people. I hate divorce because I hate what divorce did to you. Come on, some you know what you're talking. About. Some of you we're, we counsel, we've talked about that. I hate what divorce did to you. I don't hate you, but I hate divorce. God hates divorce because of what it does to you, because of what it does to your kids, and because of what it does to our society. So let's turn this thing back up, right side up. Let's at least begin right here today and make sure that our marriages are flipped back where they're supposed to be. And let's begin with love. Because love, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, but love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. If you've been here long, you've heard me say this. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. You remember what you, if you're married, you remember what you, you, you promised when you came and you got married. And if you're not married yet, one of these days when you stand before uh, you know, an official to, to get married, you're going to promise to love and to cherish, to love and to cherish. And, and, and that kind of thing goes right there together, love and cherish. It's, it's the same thing, to love and to cherish. And, and and love is, I know, some people think it's all about emotion. Well, I know I love him because of what I feel. No, no that's not love. I, you know, just heard this, I'm... I, you know, I don't like to get into personalities a whole lot, but I wanted to throw a, I wanted to throw my shoe through the TV the other day. If it hadn't cost so much, I might have done it. You know, if I, if somebody would have given me a free one afterwards, I probably would have done it. But when this lady that had the affair and I, and I mean they were they were interviewing her on TV and she she brought down this. This political figure. I mean, you know, and I don't want to get into personalities a whole lot, but I mean, when she said, when she was just, oh, she had these gaga eyes about how they were just so in love with one another. And I said, you know, I wanted to throw my, my shoe through the TV. I said, that's not love. Love isn't how you feel today. Love is not how he makes you laugh. Love is not that she makes you feel important because of the places she goes with you and how people look at you when you're together. Love is not, you know, goosebumps. And love, that's not love. Love is choice. Love is a decision. You want to see it? Let me give it to you in Scripture right here. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. He didn't die on the cross with goosebumps. Say, I feel so good about this, I'm going to go on to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. He, he, he agonized in the garden. The night before he died, he agonized in the garden because he knew how bad this was. But you know what he said at the end of that prayer? When he was asking God, he said, God, please, this is too much for, this is too much. Is there some other way? But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Let that be done. And he chose to go to the cross, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know, what he's talking about here is is he's saying, you know, the things that Christ was doing for his church is he was making his wife better. He was making his wife more beautiful. He was purifying her. He was protecting her. He, he, was, he was making her more lovely, not just in his own sight, but in everyone's sight. And he was doing this, and you know, you could say this is a little bit of a selfishness, but he was doing this for his own self. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. I, what do you see in that? Do you see a, a Savior who is caught up in emotion? Do you see a Savior who is caught up in the feeling? Do you see a Savior who said, well, today I feel like I love you? I see a Savior that chose to go to Calvary. I see a Savior that says, I want to make my, my bride the very best she can be. What we see here is we see a picture of a Savior, of a, of a husband, of a groom who said, I want, I want to do everything I can to make her the very best that I can be. He was choosing to do this. M- my kids have some friends that got married just, just a few months ago. And, and, and I think it was in less than two months, she got a phone call. I'm not even sure it was a phone call. I just know she got word. I'm assuming a phone call. And her husband had had an accident working, working somewhere in Tennessee. They now live in Huntsville, but it, Working somewhere in Tennessee, and he fell 25 feet. Is what I understand. Face first. He, he on the way to the hospital. He died, and they had to resuscitate him. Uh, we even we even heard we even heard people talking about the fact that he may have to be taken off life support. He might not make it. He, he's now he's now in uh, in rehab. He, he's he's bounced back. But for that young bride who spent her. Two-month anniversary in an intensive care unit in a hospital. Love was not about how her husband made her laugh. Love was not about the goosebumps and how she felt. Love was not about all those beautiful pictures that were taken at the wedding or on the honeymoon. Love was about a choice she made up made every single morning when she got up and she drove to the hospital to sit there with her husband that she didn't know if he would make it one more day. Love was about being there. Love was a choice that she was making. Love was a decision that she was making every single day. Let me tell you, I... Don't look to Hollywood for a picture of love. You want a picture of love? See Anna, this young lady, driving to the hospital every single day and sitting there by her husband every day. Only two months old. I I mean, I I know know there's a lot of people in this world that say, listen, listen, she deserves better than that. It'd be all right if they just had that that marriage annulled and she just go on her way and find her a healthy husband. That's not what love is. Love is standing up, getting up every single morning and making a choice that this is the person that I have committed, I have devoted my life to, and I'm making a choice that I'm going to stick with this commitment, and this is because I choose to love. That's what love is. And we do the, we've done the same thing with sex. We've done, and I'll, be, I'll be as careful as I can, Mom, Dad. Don't worry too much, Okay. But i got to say this, we do the same thing with sex. We think sex is one thing, and it's, it's not. I mean, what is, what is the promise we make? That we will keep ourselves only to him. I will keep myself only to her. I will keep myself only to him or her in this marriage. And sex today has become, I mean, I mean what is sex today? I mean, I don't know. You, you see it on TV. I, I, I mean, people hopping in and ho- I mean, we were talking about hopping in and out of marriage just a few moments ago, but we were talking about hopping in and out of something else when we're talking about this, to some people, sex is a toy. To some people, sex is a tool to be used, to manipulate. You know, you know what God said about it? I believe he said something about right here in this verse of Scripture where he says, two will become one f- flesh. Two will become one flesh. Okay, we're, talk- we're talking about a physical intimacy of coming together like, like no other ones. And so here's the problem is all the sexual exploits that a lot of people have out there in, in the world is, is what is happening. God says when this happens, two are becoming one. Now, God didn't say 50 would become one. You can't be one with 50 people. And so when you're doing this, and I don't want to offend anyone in this either today, but I'm saying when you're doing this, you are prostituting yourself. I know you say, oh, no, no, that's selling yourself for, for money. No, uh, yeah, there's some people out there that are getting arrested for selling themselves for money, but others are selling themselves for acceptance because they, 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 have, this, they have this great need in themselves, and they keep selling themselves to get a little bit of acceptance, and, and, the, and they have a relationship here for a little while, and then they feel like, well, I'm not getting what I need out of that one. And they run over there, and they have this relationship, I'm not getting what I need out of this one, and then back and forth and here and there and over and over and over, and, and they never get it. I mean, just like there's this, there's this need for money for most prostitutes because they have also need, have a need for, 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 for drugs or something like that. In the same way, the, the, others are prostituting themselves because they have a need and a desire that is never quenched for acceptance or appreciation or connection. And you will never get that connection. You can't get it with 50 people or 10 people or 5 people. The Word of God says two will become one. The unity, the beauty, the, the power that, is, that, is, that, that God has given us through this beautiful gift to marriage of sex is something that can only be truly experienced between two people. That's why if you ever start that road, you keep running down that road because you'll never get it there. You will only understand it when you're one with that one person. You see this. This is the beauty. This is the, the awesomeness. This is what God has created. But there's a reason for it. I mean, th- this, this, is, this is just a wonderful thing. For I mean, this is almost like the. Uh, it's almost like that's the fringe benefit of it, because the reason God created it that way is He said, He said, I want you to procreate and give guidance. That's the reason. It's not for your joy. It's not for your entertainment. It's not for you to use to manipulate somebody. That's not what sex is for. Sex is for procreation and guidance. That's what, uh, that's what it's all about. Why did God want you to have children? You know, Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, the end of that verse says, what does God want? Godly children from your union. That's what he wants. He wants you to have children and raise them to be godly. SATs, GPAs, those are important. But that's not your calling as a parent. Your calling as a parent is to have children and raise them to be godly. All the the things that are important, I mentioned last week, I've got trophies, you know, I don't even know where all my trophies are, those things. You know, that's not important. It's not important that they run fastest, hit the ball farthest that they're able to, to, to score more touchdowns. None of those things are important. What, what God has called you to do, sir, ma'am, what God has called you to do, if you're married, what God has called you to do is to have children and raise them to be godly. And then when they begin having children, to be the grandparent that helps them raise those grandchildren godly. And if you're not, a, if you're not married this morning, but down the road you're seeing yourself, you're going to be married, let, let me tell you, here it is, this is God's purpose, this is his plan for your life. It is not for you to have the smartest children in the world, but we all want to do that. It's not that you have the most beautiful children in the world. It's not that you have the richest children in the world. Your purpose as a parent is to have children and raise them to know Jesus Christ at an early age, to live as who he is. See, that's your first responsibility in your family, is to your children. And this sounds like a paradox here, but it is a little bit of a juggling act, a little bit of a balancing act, is that your first, your number one priority in your, I'm sorry, your number one uh, responsibility in your family is to raise your children and raise them to be godly. But your number one relationship priority is your spouse. And you know, a lot of people struggle with this because they say, I know I'm, we, we gotta pour everything we can into our kids. If you pour everything you can into your kids, then you're giving nothing to your spouse and your marriage is suffering. And your family's going to fall apart. You may have have the smartest kids, richest kids, the most athletic kids, or whatever kids, but they're going to be empty inside because you did nothing to keep your marriage strong. I I mean, kids, your number one responsibility, but your spouse is your number one relationship priority. You are not supposed to be closer to your kids than you are to your spouse. You know, this last thing here about marriage is unity and harmony. And see this word? There's a little word, one. In every one of those verses there, Genesis 2, 24, Malachi 2, 15, Matthew 19, 5, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, Ephesians 5 and 31. In every one of those, it talks about a husband and wife being one. And I know somebody might say, well, it's kind of, it's kind of repeating the same thing that was said in Genesis. It's kind of just reminding us that, exactly. I mean, how many times does God repeat himself in the Scripture? But here, he repeats this over and over and over. He says, I want you to understand. I mean, he's not just repeating a thought or an idea. He is repeating the exact same thing that two will be one flesh. And he says it over and over and over and over and over. There it is. Over and over again. Two will be one flesh. The most important thing you need to understand about your marriage is that your number one relationship priority will be your spouse. If you're not married yet, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be about you. And here's the lie. Here's the lie that a lot of people are believing today. Is that you can never be closer to your spouse than you are to all those other people. I mean, I see re- I see recreational marriages is what I see in the world today. I see people who are only only married just because they like doing some things together. I See people who are only married because, you know, because they they kind of match, you know. I mean, you know, it's it's good for business. I, mean, I know that sounds like an archaic thing people used to do. I still see people doing it. I mean, when, when people can't wait to, I mean, they get off work, they can't wait to get to do something else instead of get home. When they start thinking about taking a couple of days off, they think about who they're going to take them off with instead of with their spouse. I, I mean, we've, we've, lost, we've lost the understanding of being one. Here, here's the truth. is your spouse, if you're married, your spouse should be your best friend in life. And when you, when, if you're not married yet, you understand this. When you get married, your spouse will be, if you're going to have a great marriage, if you're going to have a right marriage, then your spouse will be your best friend for the rest of your life. That means it doesn't mean you, you get rid of all your other friends. That doesn't mean you don't go play golf every once in a while. You don't go shopping with the ladies every once in a while. But it means that your spouse is your best friend. But the world tells you that'll never happen. You can't be best friends. With your spouse I've really been praying about this this week And I had, had to roll over and tell David the other night After I was thinking, laying there in bed I was thinking through all of my, all of my sermon notes again I was Just going through them and thinking And I, I just rolled over and said I, I just want you to know Do you, do you know you're my best friend? Because let me tell you, She honestly Truly is And I don't mean Today I don't. I don't mean because uh, I don't mean by default. Because I don't have anybody else closer to me. I mean, for thirty. Help me here. Thirty-three, almost. Right next next month. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm good. For nearly thirty-three years, she's been my best friend. And if you listen to the lie that says your spouse cannot be your best friend you will not have a great wonderful right marriage i don't see how that can wait wait those of you who have been married a long time back up with me okay back up with me do you remember do you remember when you when you when you said those vows do you remember do you remember what you were feeling in your heart what you were thinking as you were you were saying this spouse this person i'm standing next to I am going to be, we're going to be so close for the rest of our lives and we're going to enjoy this and we're going to enjoy this. We're going to raise kids and we're going to go here and we're going to go there and we're going to do all this and all this and all this. You lost that, didn't you? You see, if you don't believe that your spouse is to be your best friend, you lost that because that was exactly what you thought when you stood and you made those vows. We need to recapture that, don't we? Or we need to flip this house. I want to ask every married person in the building, I want you to come down, stand here with me in the front. If you're presently married, come on down. And if your spouse is with you, I know we've got some spouses working in other parts. Some spouses are sick this morning, not able to be here. Some spouses are working kids' church or something. But if your spouse is with you, get close, Man, somebody snap a picture. I'm seeing all these hand holdings going on. Man, y'all coming down and holding hands. Go ahead, hold hands. If you can, if your spouse with you, go ahead and hold hands, get close, Amen. Amen. I'm gonna take you back. Some of you got to go a long ways back. <laughs> how far you got to go back, Jeffrey? remember how how long? Eight, eight years. I didn't realize it was that long. How far you got to go back, Scott? Or should I ask Terry just to keep you safe? <laughs> Twenty-five years. How far you got to go back? Where? where that's Wayne. There they are. I was looking for Wayne Francis. All right. Here. How far you got to go back? 41. Forty-one years. Forty-one years. I want to take you back. You holding the hand of that person next to you? Let me take you back. You remember these words? They might have been a little different for you, but listen to them. I take you as my lawfully and spiritually wedded wife. I promise to forsake all others, and cleave only to you. I promise to love, honor, comfort, and spiritually edify you. I take you from this day forward, for better or for worse, in riches and in poverty, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I promise to pray for you, to live with you in an understanding way, to grant you honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, and to forgive you as God has forgiven me. I promise to give myself to you as Christ gave himself for us to fulfill my duty to you. Therefore, I receive you as God's lovely gift to me. You remember that? Sounds like best friends, don't it? Sounds like nobody will ever be more important than the person you're standing next to or the person that's at home or sick or whatever this morning. Nobody is. Step toward me just a couple of feet because I want to ask everybody else to come. Many of you are, some of you are about to be married really soon. Mac and Emma just a month and a few weeks away. This is what it is. And listen, I've messed up sometimes when I've counseled people that are about to be married. I say, well, if you're not ready to say this and you're not ready to be married, that's wrong. If you're not ready to live this, you're not ready to be married. I wish we could go into this country and flip marriage back on the right, back right side up. We're not going to do that in a couple of weeks. But you know where we can begin? Right here, right here, right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. And then start living this in front of everybody else in the world. And let me tell you why this is important. Last verse, last scripture right here, Malachi. Go back to Malachi. We read a little bit of this just a few moments ago. God says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Because you've not been faithful to your vows. You see, your worship. I don't care what, I don't care what your worship looks like looks like in here, if your marriage isn't right, God doesn't even accept your worship. You know, nothing else. I mean, this is the this is the vow. This is the promise. This is the covenant you make in this world above any other. And if you lie in it, or if you don't remain true to it, are you listening to me, you unmarried folks? If you don't remain true to it, no other vow or covenant or commitment or promise or or nothing else you do in this world can be blessed by God if you break this one. And I'm not just talking about adultery and those things. I'm talking about living what we read, having a great, awesome marriage, being best friends, being there for one another. Nothing else can work. Nothing else can matter. That's why this is important. Let's flip our marriage. Take take your spouse by the hand if he or she's there beside you. If not, just close your eyes with me. Let's all close our eyes. Jamie, lead us. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing until you finish praying. But let's pray. Pray over your spouse right now. Those of you who aren't married yet, pray over your future spouse. Some of you, very few of you, like Mac, probably has a name to put with that or a face. But you can still pray over that future spouse. Pray for yourself.